looking at the picture of a child who never survived this genocide, that this could have been, who could have this child have been? It's, it's, what it's, could they have created? What could they have done? It's, what? A, it's a horror that no words can describe. How did you feel? I, I mean, by, by that point, I was in tears. Welcome to the QR Lab. My name is Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with Amr Zeki The Q. You did it again. I did. I tried it again. Amr Zeki? He was super fast with your own. Questioning reality. We're on a quest, but to understand our reality, are we not? Is this a safe place? Wrecked. Can we discuss ideas freely here? To the benefit, then I'm out. To the benefit of <laughs> to the benefit of mankind. So you know that's that's what we're trying to do here. Um, <clears throat> we are about thirty episodes or so in. Woo! Yeah, hit it. Certainly, thank you. We have uh, you know about the the threshold, right? The twenty. Um, I don't really know. Okay, about I, that. I heard this from um, a colleague of mine who said that. Most podcasts fail when they looked at the millions of, I mean, you know, all the episodes and the, there's, I don't know, thousands probably of uh, podcasts, uh, you know, themes or, or topics. And they said they found that uh, the ones who failed, meaning they could not maintain, were overwhelmingly below 20 meaning the total episodes they could muster. Yeah, I mean, I believe that you have to produce a certain amount of content before people will really... Oh, it's engage. not even that. It's not even about people engagement. It's they were looking at longevity, meaning who, how many... What is the correlation between the number of podcasts in a successful, long-term, active podcast? And it was more than 20. The ones that succeeded all had more than 20. Now, here's what's interesting. You and I had a podcast before, years and years and years ago. The Naked Hour. You oh, yeah, that? we did one episode. No, we did two. Okay. <laughs> and that was it. Now, that seems to fit that that pattern, which is interesting. Uh, so at this point, you know, you know, we're you know, we're celebrating. This is the thirtieth episode. Very soon we'll hit fifty. And once we hit fifty, big party, red carpet. That's right. Kebabs, <laughs> belly dancers, the whole shebang. <laughs> Uh, and this, yeah, and I'm about to hit uh, next year. I think both of us, well, or actually you, in 25. Yeah, yeah. Well, my prediction is 2024 gonna is going to be 100 episodes in 2024. Okay, well, there we, we laid that down. I, I'm not going to question that. I mean, you can question all you want. This is a QR lab after all. That's right. So today we're going to be looking at kind of part two of our um, Rwanda discussion, yeah. and I don't think we need to go into a whole lot of detail about the country. I kind of laid that down in the last episode, but of course, we can't go without really discussing one of the, you know, kind of defining aspects, at least in the last 30 years of that country. And in fact, it's about to hit its 30th, I don't know if you'd call it anniversary, but its 30th year mark of uh, the, the genocide that occurred there. And they have all throughout the country, you know, as part of the reconciliation and healing effort after those events. How do people recover from something like that? I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things that happened um, post 
genocide. I mean, obviously, we know it's very interesting what happened pre-genocide. Um, what happened during the actual genocide, I think, is just horror. It's just awful. But to call it interesting is, is does not describe, you know, what happened and doesn't do it at all. It's uh, it's due. But I, I think that when you go to the Genocide Museum in Rwanda, these are people who have experienced this. And you can see, I could hear people wailing in tears and crying with emotion, probably because, you know, this was, you know, an event that had affected their family or it affected, you know, they, 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 these were real events that affected people. You heard people earth. crying at the yeah, museum? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can wow. hear. I, I, you know, we'd be walking from, I'd be walking from one room to the next <clears> and I would see people just wailing, almost in agony, as if, you know, that, sh I don't know if you've ever, uh, this is a very un horrible thing to hear and it's a very maybe dark subject, but I think it's important nonetheless because in reality, we must question all aspects. Um, we can't just go around always talking about the fun things, but <clears throat> there's an opportunity there in, in exploring this. There's an opportunity beyond just, you know, some voyeuristic, you know, yes, voyage yeah. into... It's into not It's not entertainment. It's it's intended to... This is not entertainment. ...pause yeah, and make it, you it, stop. It is. It's, con it's reflection. Right. It's contemplation. There, you know, I, I, I want to go into a little bit more detail and kind of describe... You know, maybe a few things about the um, uh, museum itself. Not really a museum; it's a memorial. memorial now, there yeah. is an aspect to it that is a museum. There really are, are separate parts to it. Uh, you know, when you come in, there's an audio tour, and I think that really sets the framework. There's a video that they show uh, where survivors are talking about you know these effects and what what this means to them. Uh, there it's are in people, English. Yes, okay. they experienced. I mean, some of the worst horrors that human beings can, can well, experience. Well, the, the manner of death was quite brutal because they were macheted. Whether they're macheted or blown away by right. by missiles, I mean, you know, uh, a, a child or a grandmother right, exploding right. from a missile or being hacked to death, I mean, I would agree with you that maybe the... It's just the, not an instantaneous death, you know, like you get from... It's a, horrific. I mean, e either yeah. way. I mean, either way, this sort of death, this sort of instantaneous murder is is stunning, and we should never become cold to this right we should never become numb to it or um complacent yeah. and i think i think these are reminders i think even the holocaust museum in la which i have visited um when i was in college was also one of these moments where it really gives you pause um as you're as you're walking through you know they have uh, an area that is just basically it's called an open grave i mean these are just open graves they're underground there's Close to something like two hundred thousand people that are actually contained within that memorial. Uh, are you serious? Yes. So, so the memorial itself well, they're, is, they're, is at a grave. And well, yes, but the way you know it's laid out on a, on a foundation and under, you're not seeing actual. I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. And it's more of it is more of a memorial, but I'm just saying that the bodies aren't turned there, and wow. there are you know names on the wall, but they're still. Finding out who these people are, they don't know all the people that even seriously. Yeah, I mean, they so have, there's still people who they're just, still cataloging this. Can you imagine so, after all this time? I can't believe so. So all there are there people, were so many people died. Nearly a million people died. Are you serious? It was a yes, million. So, so the million. the number of dis the people who disappeared, you're saying there's a percentage of them that until today are unknown where they are, their whereabouts, or even where their bodies are, and they're still trying to catalog Correct. and find them. This is a horror unimaginable. There's a garden. And the garden is planted and represents many things. Uh, 
the there's a tree that represents growth and there's it's a beautiful walk through this you took pictures and everything i did i I don't want to not now but you know later when you give your uh, you're going to give a a talk about this is going to be very poignant you know to show the photos and along with the narration that's that's you know and so when you go in they really are trying to give you some context some historical background of how this could happen yeah and it, I think from a very simplistic perspective, we say, oh, yeah, the Hutus and the Tutsis didn't like each other. Hutus ended up committing the the genocide. They ended up, you know, going in and... Uh, is that ice good, man? Keep going. <laughs> they really ended up creating this whole situation. But it, it's much more complex than that. And we, we have to look at origins. And I think when you look at something like this, to break it down and make it too simplistic, it's just, it's just a complete mistake mm-hmm. to do that, you know? And mm. I feel that we do that with a lot of circumstances, even today. We try to oversimplify things and really not look at their historical context and basis. So, for example, why did these people hate each other? Why did the Hutus and the Tutsis, and actually not like they hated each other, right, but, right. but wh- where was the division? Well, what's the separation? Because, you know, essentially, and um, this is even demonstrated in the film, where you, you essentially can't look at a, at a Hutu and a Tutsi or, or, or tell any sort of difference between them. You know, it's not like... Like in the United States, yeah. where you know you could say, "Oh well, the you know the, these white people were racist against these black people," or you know where it's where there's an obvious differential. You can't there tell that, by looking at them, yeah. So, <clears throat> why would you want to just wipe these people out? And so, there must have been some sort of pretext or context that created this hatred. Now, what was that? Yeah. Why are they warring with each other? I mean, essentially, the armies that were committing the genocide—they couldn't even identify who was this or who was that. Until they, you know, had to have cards that showed, you know, what your national, you know, what your ethnicity was. So they would say, "Well, show me your card." Well, the tribes are not even ethnically different. I, correct. So, so it's yeah. very they're it's, the same people, right? <clears throat> essentially, it's very, very difficult to distinguish. So, what, what, what was the root cause? Well, why did they? Like, so you know? it really goes back to the origins of colonialism, where there was a certainly one of the groups had taken more of a. Um, affinity or maybe maybe looking at how you know essentially the french were interested in dividing them and and said you know they this i this is coming straight out of the museum they said you know these people the tutsis they look more um they're taller the they they have you know more straight noses so they're they're a little more light-skinned so we think these are you know more worthy people Right, and so, so they they were given maybe a, a little bit more power, advantage, advantage, and it's yeah. some advantage, and so so they dehumanized the other guys. <clears throat> it did, but then there obviously was a backlash, you know, once your colonial oppressors leave. But that the, sort of the pretext had been put in, very similar to the way, for example, the the Nazis would measure, um, you know, the Jews' noses and char- try to characterize their physical features mm. as being so specific to that race, you know, yeah. and it's it it's kind of a it's kind of a horrible thing. It's a to, sick, to, sick ideology. It, it is yeah. to kind of classify people by their physical descriptions right, right, and, yeah. and to either say that they're inferior or superior based on it's, those. It's a form of dehumanization. It's, you know, there's many ways to dehumanize. This is just right. one of them. Yeah. It, it, or it's it's even like levels, right? Like you might yeah. say they're human, but you know, you know, we've heard recently in the news language like they're human animals. Right. Like, yeah. What does that mean? Like, well, what are you what are you trying to say when you say something like? These people are. I mean, if you have the head of a very powerful country, and maybe not the head, but their defense minister saying that 
the certain group of people are equal to human animals. You've reached we've kind of that that's sort of the pretext that we're yeah. talking about here, right? Where you start this dehumanization. Now, I'm not going to go any further with that, but I'm what I'm trying to say is that this the pretext there, there's always a pretext. This stuff does not happen out of the blue. You know, yeah, and when we're yeah. looking at situations today, very complex situations today, we shouldn't be just like, oh, wow, this just, this just, you know, all oh, these people have been fighting forever, but this just started, you know, on October 7th, for example. You know, no, it actually didn't, right? This one's just an yeah. out of the blue event, right? So th- th- it's very important. And I'm not taking sides here, but what I'm trying to say is it's very right. important to look at exactly right, what right. is the pretext that caused this to happen. And in the situation of Rwanda, there had been a built-in colonial um, uh, propaganda effort. Now, this, this, this effort, this propaganda effort, is very important to being able to commit genocide. So, you so, cannot so, have a genocide without propaganda. So, so, so the, the Houthis, the, the Tutsis were the favored ones. The Houthis felt sort of disenfranchised. Correct. And maybe even dehumanized Correct. because they're, they're talking about you know, physical features and things. So... May I ask that, you know, since you know the history a lot better uh, than me, certainly. just been to the museum. Right, but I mean, how, so at some point, what triggered, I mean, that colonialism was years ago, many years ago. So what triggered that 1990s genocide? It must have been an inciting event, because you're right, there is a pretext, but what was this inciting event that got them going? (laughs) You know, really... um it, it, it's just like a pressure cooker. It had just been building. And then just keep, popped. Yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. in mind that they had been living together, intermarrying. Yeah. The, most of the moderates, right? I, this is, again, a, a, a very important point I want to bring about to our understanding our human existence and why we're doing the QR lab is that built into us, it's like a thread or a strand yeah. built into us is this idea of, of superiority somehow. Like that, that even, even all of us think of it yeah. in some way or form. Think of what? That, that there is an element of, of being superior to somebody else or being superior to another. Now, now it can oh, become. I see. I see. Now, yeah. I think that, I, that being said, I think the, the bell shaped curve looks like this 80% of people, you know, are, I'd say 90%. There's only like a, a smaller percentage, this minority percentage. But they have incredible influence. And I, I've made this point over yeah, and over again yeah, because yeah. to me, this is one of the, the biggest problems is that you have a minority of people that are loud, they're vocal, they're able to create visceral reactions from people. You know, we're sitting here talking about philosophy and and these you know, concepts, science and right. quantum mechanics and the, these concepts. That doesn't get people, you know, into the point Certain where they're ready people, to, but not everybody. to go storm the Capitol, right? Right, right? exactly, right. Like yeah. somehow you need, and it doesn't take much. It doesn't take any real intellectual capability. Well, you know, but all you have to do is poison one's reality. Once I've poisoned your reality, once I've made you think that something is not what it is. Well, like you said earlier, it is a form of propaganda because what we're trying to do in the QR It's not a form. It, you know what no, I mean? No, I, it, no, it 100%. No, it, that's what I'm saying. It is a kind is. of propaganda. It is propaganda, but... Uh, I think your point is very valid because what we're trying to do in the in the QR lab is actually appeal to an aspect of human consciousness and human existence and thinking that actually is intended to help people think and formulate their own thoughts and bring themselves up to maybe a new understanding. And certainly you can make the claim that the questions uh, that we are asking may in fact be uncomfortable for people because it may make you feel... 
uh, it may make you feel like, oh, I already had this worked out, and now these guys are raising the question, and it kind of makes me question the questioning, the questioning, and you're going in circles. That is not the point. That could happen. But that's actually part of the journey. You, you and I, earlier in the day, I showed you one of my entries earlier this morning that you know, was very disturbing, the conclusions I came to, because it forced me to look at things a certain way. But that disturbance, that rattling the cage is really what the QRL Lab is trying to do. Well, what is a laboratory? It's a place where you play with ideas to see new things, new discoveries, new ideas will come to the surface, and you enhance, hopefully, your understanding. So the idea is to uplift, right, not to uh, do the opposite. Exactly. I mean, I think 100%. And, you know, I want to apologize to anybody who's listening to this if I've oversimplified the understanding between the situation that arose between the the Rwanda in the Rwanda gen- genocide. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit I'm not an expert at this. I just went to the museum and I read all the cards and uh it certainly doesn't you know Yeah, well, this is your impression. I mean, the, 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 yeah. nobody's an expert here, but uh, Yeah, the, the, this the, is, and you know. I would encourage anybody and you can get get this on, you know, Wikipedia. Just if you really want to go back and look at, you know, after, you know, the, the French or I guess it was the Belgians left and then you know, what essentially happens thereafter, you know, a revolution and how the Hutu-Tutsi relations changed after independence and how that whole thing, you know, you, you can go ahead and do that. But the, 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 the point I think we really want to get into here is not so much, you know, giving a lecture on yeah, this, yeah, but yeah. kind of, kind what was stunning, okay, was how you go through this and you even, you get to see skulls that they've they've put into glass cases and you can see, you know the where the machetes have cracked into these skulls. So it kind of, as you're looking at these skulls, you, you you'll see something like that, and you're, you're thinking, this is the evidence that the remainders of we're seeing the violence is still there in that yeah. captured in that glass case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, that violence that that what it's they did epic. is yeah. is forever. Yeah, that stuff never goes away. And right. you'd be like, oh, it's great. It's long lasting. It's a legacy. Yeah. That is not a good legacy, my no, friend. No. That 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 it's is horror. It kept as a depiction of the yeah. horrors of human beings. How horrific we can yeah, do to yeah, each yeah. other. It's, it's you know what Genghis Khan did, you know, wiping out, you know, uh, you know, uh, a million people in a week with beheadings. I mean, you know, the the the, the, the level of inhumanity. The the only way a human being can do this to another human. I mean, you you have a hard time killing an, an insect in your house, right? But you know, an, another human being does this to another human being only through one mechanism. Absolute, utter dehumanization, meaning you see those people as less than microbes, right? When you're prescribing antibiotics, you're trying to kill, you know, streptococcal pneumonia because you want the patient to survive, right? So that organism is an enemy and you are trying to wipe it out. Now, psychologically, when other people are viewed in this manner, then it gives them freedom to do that, and they can go home and kiss their kids and go to bed, no problem. Do you know you made this point to me about twenty years ago? I don't remember. I mean, you've had these insights for. I mean, you, you, I remember specifically you making this point about microbes and how when people dehumanize each other to the point of, you know, not seeing them as human, calling them, you know, words that are have, yeah. been, have been used over and over again, specific words, right? Vermin, right, right, right. When you say somebody is vermin. What are you yeah. saying? Virus, right? Right, yeah. 
I mean, you're basically saying that they're dispensable, that they are less than human. They don't matter as much, and it's okay. Yeah, that's right. And it's almost permissive. So That's this, the pretext you're talking about this right is there. This the pretext. It, yeah. it, it's, it goes in, and it allows just normal people living their life every day, the moderates who, who just aren't – they're not – they're just trying to live their life, right? But we're always moved at either end by these these two po- these poles on either side, you know, that are yeah. pulling one way or the other. And sometimes they they meet in the middle and they cause mass conflict. And I, um, uh, you know, want to want to continue as 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 I went through the museum. There's a section there that starts showing other genocides, right? So they have a display there about the Serbian Bosnian genocide. They have a display about Khmer Rouge. They have a display, obviously, about the Holocaust and the events that occurred in Nazi Germany. These are absolutely horrific events, and it's almost too much. That's when the museum—the museum is like a one-two punch. You're going through, you know, you, you outside, you see the graves, you walk through, you see the museum. Oh, sorry, the garden, and then, and then you're walking through the museum, and you're learning, and you're under, seeing how all this unfolded, and then you start realizing. This is not an isolated event. This may be a very recent one, but throughout history, this stuff has been going on. This And, and what's really important, as, as opposed to the um, example you stated about Genghis Khan, who was murdering, slaughtering people, I, I don't know that Genghis Khan's ultimate objective was to actually f- forcibly annihilate one specific race. No, off the, no, no. see, that wasn't he, his... He used it as a political so, weapon. So he is, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the actual word genocide, which I think mm. we need to reserve... Unfortunately, there's not a word that, at least I don't know, maybe you can tell me that like somebody's committing war or conquering, right? Like conquering. I mean, even sounds positive, right? You know, we Napoleon the Conqueror, Alexander yeah. the Great, or Genghis Khan. These are these were conquerors. These were you know, <laughs> yeah. These were generals. They they went and they were butchers. They that killed right. you know millions of people is what they were. Um, obviously, there were things that evolved out of that, and you know, human beings moved on and. There was so you kind of take the good with the bad there, but was were the express intents to specifically annihilate a, a people, and so genocide really has to be in that context. It has to be taken in the context of is the intent to eradicate these people because of who they are, because they are subhuman, because they are, uh, you know, there there's some sort of ideology there that that is the is the pretext for saying these people must go. Not only must they go to like a different land, they they have to be gone. We have yeah. to kill. We have to put them in cooking houses and you know cook them up. So let me ask you this: like, I mean, this is just disgusting. But right, I mean, right. you know, th- that's essentially what. So let me ask you this then: How is it now in 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 Rwanda that the these two uh, tribes are still in coexistence post genocide? They are living, working together, presumably intermarrying, or is it in fact that it's a very unstable piece where at any moment they can go right back to it? I, I, I think I think what happened is the more radical elements were driven out, right? The really radical elements were pushed out of the country. Doesn't mean they're gone. They probably they, they still exist, you know, on the periphery in minority numbers. So basically, what you're saying is, even though, so their society is really held together now, through by two, moderates, by moderates, right. and and by somebody who's and, and rule of law, presumably, and just and just right? a very they have a judiciary, of, they right. they have a police, the law enforcement. If, if if you know if people start to get out of line, then you know there are consequences, right? So 
but it's interesting, the comment you said earlier actually was very poignant, which is one of your physician Rwandan friends, you know, instead of the if Kagame, right? That's his name, the president? Yes. If he uh, were to, you know, lose his position or to, you know, die from natural causes or what have you. Yeah, I mean, see... There, he would take an airplane <laughs> yeah, the next he day. Said that, no, not the next day. <laughs> Same day. <laughs> no, I mean, he would go... Pack I mean, his- Back, he said immediately. I mean that. that like if we me, were, we were, because we were, I, because I, I asked, I said, "What would you, we were like out at dinner?" That's scary. I though. go, "What if Kagami died yeah. right now?" He goes, "I would go back to the hotel and run to the airport." But is he a Tutsi or, or Hutu, or does do you not know? Oh, he's American. Oh, he's American. Yeah, oh, he's just saying there? no. He he lives in America. Oh, he's oh, an American. I see, I see. But I was asking him what he would do. He's been there many times. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I thought yeah. it, I thought it was a a, a national. Uh, a native? No, no. Okay. No, okay. No. 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 He. This. He. That, that's, he would, that's a little bit more understandable. Understandable. Yeah. 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 He, basically, what he was saying was, you know, so for example, the, the, you asked me how this whole thing got started off. Well, there was an assassination of the Rwandan president on, I think, in April of 1994. His jet plane was shot out of the sky, and that was the pretext the Hutus used to, you know, they the term they used was to uh, cut the tall trees or something like that. That was. Uh, they, so they, they, had a, they had a radio it. network. There, there had been a pretext building. There had been a movement building. So the Hutus were were those who started. There, there were and there was after. a group of Hutus that were Hutus. Yes, that, that were after. radicalized. That okay. were and a party that was very interested in. And that the president was a Hutu, at the time who was shot out of the sky. Yeah, and I who, believe so. And the, and it was the Tutsis who shot him for sure. No. No. Oh, they don't know. It's not known. Nobody knows to this day, like how that happened or wh- why he, uh, I mean, how, he how he died. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What are their natural resources? I mean, I th- I think that they have um, uh, tremendous farming capabilities. Is I'm, France still interested or still operating in that country? No. Okay. I'm just saying because th- they do stuff like that. They'll blow up airplanes and they'll instigate wars. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not. We don't we it's, I I don't want to yeah. speculate too yeah, much we don't on know. that, but. You know, when you go to these other th- these rooms where you see these other genocides, it's and then you realize the the victims of these genocides, and then they put you in a, the next room, which is you know a bunch of ch- pictures of children put up on the wall, and you're seeing these young innocent faces, like dead faces, or no, they are just alive and alive, well, yeah, but they have they're victims. They did not survive this genocide. Oh, they died. Yeah, these are pictures of before of, they died of kids who died. Oh, jeez, this yeah, is I horrible. Mean, yeah, I I think one of the things the museum does well is not actually show you a lot of the gore. Yeah, yeah, you that's know, there, good. There's yeah. some, there, there's some. Well, that's but, distasteful. I mean, I, but but yeah. and also you don't. It, you don't it's hinted see. enough. You know, like yeah. looking at a skull. You don't need that. Was, that obviously was yeah. cracked open by a machete. Like you don't. That's even worse, I think, than showing me the image. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's right. Because now you've put Your it in my yeah, correct. Yeah. So, I, I think that people can can look at this and and see it without having to be given the full on gory display. I think there's it, that it's enough to understand. You know that when you're looking at the picture of a child who never survived this genocide, that this could have been, who could have this child have been? It's, it's, what it's, could they have created? What could they have done? It's, what? A, it's a horror that no words can describe. How did you feel? I, I mean, by, by that point, I was in tears. I mean, yeah. I was just, I, I could not, cont- almost could not contain myself close to for about 15 minutes. It had a huge, surprisingly wow. pretty strong impact. Like, I, I went outside, I sat, 
sat yeah. down on a bench and I was just kind of like just let, letting it. Were sunk you alone in. or were you go with? I, I went by myself. Yeah. Oh, by I, actually, yourself. I had planned to go wow. with other people, but I didn't. That's make harder it. when you go by yourself. So, so I think going by myself was good because there was, you know, I, I could I could really just in, be yourself. Take it. Yeah, yeah, I could take it in for myself. I, the experience was mine. It, and it was it, that it allows me to be able to talk yeah, about that's it crazy, you know, rather than this is a very I think point. I think you could do it either way yeah, I don't yeah. think it would matter you you know but it was a a, a a solemn contemplative you know humbling experience you know to to see that I, what I came away with it is that thinking about what is going on today in our world that we are still just you know not this could all happen again. There's a sickness. There's a cycle almost. A sickness. There's a sickness. I yeah. think within within. There's I think a sickness. Within everybody. And, and, and it, it, it it's been here. It's been with us since the beginning of time. I wonder too. You know, we were talking about you know silverback gorillas and how they kill one another yeah. and they'll kill the children off and because it's progeny and all. I wonder, you know, about that. You know, a little bit of it because some of that, you know, concepts of eugenics and ge- genetics. I mean, that was used as a yes. pretext in w- with the, with the Nazis, right? right I mean, so let me ask you a question. <clears throat> you you raised an interesting point that it still disturbs me, by the way, and and it came from the prior podcast and prior discussions. I'm going to link it in a second to this. There is a field, an emerging field in biology called the biology of violence, and what scientists are interested in, not looking at things from a moral or ethical or theological, or philosophical, or mystical standpoint, which is not approachable experimentally. They're looking at why is there violence and cycles of death and destruction in bi- in all of nature, including down to the smallest cells and particles. And, and if you actually look at... I actually have videos I wanted to show you, um, but if you look at cellular life... And you almost anthropomorphize it. We call them natural killer cells. Right. NK, right. NK cells. And they literally release cytotoxic, you know, granules that are like bullets. That they, they, the minute they touch the other cell, boom. It's like it's like literally being being executed. Yeah. Was very interesting that 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 in natural physiology, your immune system is trying to protect you. And one of the ways it protects you is by killing. I'm not saying uh, pro or con or there's any kind of moral, uh, you know, uh, well, injunction I mean, you here. know, when you talk about the biology of violence, it's really interesting. Because, I, I, again, I think it comes down to this whole midbrain, you know, um, supertentorial connection, right? Like our, our, our cortical brain is our think, thinking, rationalizing... Executive functioning, Executive right. function. So the, the midbrain, however, does not have any of that. But it still wants what it wants. It still desires what it desires. And wh- one of the concepts that, have, that came out of addiction research was that this midbrain, where for some people that addiction is so wired, it's so strongly built in, that it that it utilizes pathways into the cortex that allow to it justify. to justify justify yeah wow right so wow, so th- yeah. so think about this right like your your executive functioning brain that knows these things are wrong it knows that you know you shouldn't be in doing certain types of behaviors right it cannot overcome once the midbrain starts creating these 
these connections there. So these it, pathways. It, it like metastasizes and it mitigates the inhibitory pathways. And and yeah. you know we've learned about the neuroplasticity to the brain, so it can change, right? I mean, you can overcome this, but it takes a very long time. Once those pathways are built in, and and, and it's sort of like the manipulation aspect. So I mean, you know, in terms of our desire, our biological desire to eradicate and kill and and to to that you know young men who run and sign up to join the army so that they can you know be part of the the military apparatus that just kills people yeah, in yeah, other you countries know, this is this is very good here because it's making me think about this in a different way what you're saying is how is it that any human being could ever want to or think about killing it's 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 kind of a it's very disturbing when you think about it, right? Yet it's something that we see every day and w- in our culture. And, Even and kids, talk about kids it. pick yeah. up a gun, they pick up a yeah. stick, and I'm going to kill you, I'm going to yeah. hit you. What is going on? What's Ask, happening? What is going on? I mean, where does all this start? That's why we're here. That's yeah. why we're in the lab. I mean, is killing learned or is it innate? Is it picked up from games and you know, you're seeing adults who are talking about war and there's conflict in the world? Or if I left you on an island all by yourself with other people and people were evolving, I mean, would, you even, you, would you even think about killing? I mean, you, so you ask probably about, wouldn't. Ask about serial killers then. Where do these people or, come Or how from? about hunting? Like maybe the first thought of killing is, you know what, anthropologists or psychologists listening to this, like they've already worked this out. I'm sure there's books. They probably books think we're complete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, we're... We're, we're Neanderthals at, discussing well, this Well, the, the thing is, is being non-experts, we first have to ask the question, right? That's what the Carol is yeah, about. Yeah, and so, then we can... You can always research it, but the question is important, which is you're on an island, you and, say, 100 people. You end up having to hunt in order to survive, right? So you realize you could hurt other things, right? So you kill uh, an animal and you eat it, right? And so at some point you realize that you have the power to take life, right? And children learn this probably because adults are hunting. And then when conflicts arise, you realize by analogy you could do the same thing to other people. That's probably how it started. There, there is a book, The Biology of Violence, by um, Deborah Niehoff. Is that right? How understanding the brain, behavior, environment can break the vicious cycle of aggression. It's from two thousand two. Getting a picture of it. Yeah. So I mean, you know, this definitely has been looked at. I'm. I, I think it's important to understand. This is not just psychology. I mean, I think this is hardwired into our. Um, I think it's hardwired into our midbrain, and I think that at a executive function, there we, we utilize this sort of brutality, you know, for for our own means. Like, for example, um, gangs would utilize this kind of violence in order yeah. to, um, you know, advance their status. Or, you know, going back even further, you know, it's it's something that has been around and in, ingrained, I think, from our evolution. So it's it's not new. So the human predicament. The human predicament. You're here. You're bio, in your biological suit, right? You're a biological entity. You're living on this rock floating around. And you encounter all kinds of, you know, issues and problems in life. You know, 
you're lucky that you're not in a situation where you are being genocided or that you're forced to respond to that. You know? But I think there's a, a very fine line. At any moment, we could. That's correct. So, at any moment, you know, things could change. So have you thought about what you would do if, you know, a group or institution or government starts rounding up brown people? I guess I, I can't go walking around the earth, you know, worrying about these kind of things when they are, they, yes, there are other, th- it's possible, but there are other things that. I don't say worry about it. I'm saying just even conceptually, if if that were to happen, then you've at least thought about what you would do. I mean, I have. I mean, of course. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, the first thing is being preventative. Correct. I, I think the best thing we can do is to discuss this openly. Speech. Is to have yeah. open discussion, is to promote a atmosphere of peace right. and love and acceptance and not always falling into our own tight contained camps is that always going to work with people who are so sick that they're just rounding you up and throwing you in 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 pits in the ground yeah i think those people are going to find it hard to continue to do that so they're coming for you what do you do they're kicking the door i mean you're you're okay so again like i'm talking about prevention you're talking about something that's going to happen oh it's happening right 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 right, i'm talking i'm saying that what you're saying what are you going to do what i'm going to do is i'm not going to be you know Camping out in my house and having like ten AK forty sevens and putting fences up. Yeah. Now, now, if the situation changed to where you know that became a, a real, a reality and something that I really needed to do, then of course you know in order to survive, you have to do what you have to do. If, I mean, if, if if the roving gangs all of a sudden started appearing and snatching people out of their houses, of course I would need to you yeah. know be aware of that and take precautions. But what I'm trying to say is, before we do that, why don't we start a neighborhood watch? So yep. when we find these people, we can report them because there is a system that will take care of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I, I, again, this goes back to a concept of n- nobody wants this. I mean, e- by the way, even countries are engaged in war; they don't want war. That you know? has got to be the message here. Nobody wants the, this. The message has got to be: How many more times do you need to see this happen? It just never stops. Call it out you know? when you see it. See, right. the people that call it out are silenced. Just as happened in the Rwandan genocide. That's right. What do they do to the moderate politicians? Guess what they do? Bang! Right. They vote them they out, just, or they no, shoot them. They kill them. Right. They right. just yeah. kill them because that or they character assassinate carries them. with it a bigger message. Yeah. Right. A, a very small. That's that's how small groups of people can can control things through right. violence. Right. Because once they start enacting that violence on other people, other people go, you know, they they don't have it in them to do fear. What is necessary. It's using fear, and and violence is the weapon of the weak and an intar- of the weak and the inarticulate. However, there comes a point in which right. You you gonna continue to do that? There is gonna be repercussions. Of course, of course. You know, like yeah. you can't just go around like roving gangs coming around killing people. It like always something. comes to an end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we and you see this message even delivered in you know some uh, pop culture um, post apocalyptic movies like Mad Max, for example, right? Right. I mean, so you have basically complete lawlessness, post apocalypse, and there's no justice. And who's gonna fight for these people? Who's gonna save these these women who are out in the desert and Guess who? It's Mad Max. He comes somebody. That is the message. There is that. There's always going to be a deliverer from this. Right. This cannot endure. Right. Like we're not designed for it. There's going to be the human. It's an, it's an the aberration. Human, the human product will right. create its, well, it's own it's, 
It's savior. remedy. It's on. Re- well, the thing is, it, 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 you're you're saying it's going to create a, a savior. It's going to create a remedy. We're that is not our default state. Our default state is, I think, a state of peace. You know, we're talking about the exalted state of a human being. I think, you know, like today, I went to you know my kid's soccer game, and there's a, a, a woman, a mother, and father. They're standing there. They're holding a child, maybe six months old, and and I was walking by this child. This beautiful, you know. Bright blue eyes, you know, sandy blonde hair, big red, you know, uh, you know, fat cheeks, you know, baby mm-hmm. fat. And I'm, I was walking; it was crowded. And I just walked right by this baby, and his face was so close to me. And I looked at him; I was like smiling, and then, <laughs> yeah. And, and I looked at him, and I was kind of like, you know, giving him like, you know, like hello. I'm, I recognize you. I see you. And he looked at me. And he goes, Yeah, he smiled. He just burst into a huge smile. Right. He locked eyes with me. He had a real human connection. Now, I'm a stranger. Right, but babies are programmed to see human faces. Exactly, and not only that, <laughs> but but to recognize is this somebody who's a threat or somebody I like? Yeah. So the mom turned to me and she's like, "He recognizes good souls." <laughs> As I was walking away, <laughs> <laughs> which is there's a beauty, right? This is the humanity that we all have, right? Every single one of those children that was executed was like this, right? Our I, nature. I, I can't even. Our nature. Like, when I even hear it, I just, it's, it's it's something beautiful, you know. It's something exalted. It's something peaceful. It makes you just realize how precious and fragile things are. Yeah. You know, it, it, we are, we're such a precious, fragile creation. Every single one of us yeah. is, is, is valid and worthy. And to... Has value. And, and you know, yeah. it, there has got to be some redemption. I mean, this is one of the reasons, you know, this might be a subject for another podcast, but, do, you know, the death penalty, for example. Like, you know, like, is that... Where where do you draw the line, you know, with that? I, I, we can talk about this some other time, but I, I I think the the issue of you know the concept of genocide is something that is I want to call I you know as I was coming through I go this just feels like it's it's like a virus like in us it's it, it's this, a mental it's, illness it's a mental yeah. illness or something but but then again what are we saying here it's built into our evolution so what is it. But not hatred. I think that's not built. That's learned. You know, and, and other people do something bad to you. At some point, you're going to start hating them because. Hold on, hold on. So that that was a really interesting statement. So, but the genocide, its mechanism that allows it to happen is hatred, right? Hatred and Pro- dehumanization. Programming hatred into right, people's hearts, right, right. and 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 giving them the green light to say, these are the people that need to go. And we need to wipe them off the face of the planet. I mean, it's so sickening. The whole thing is is there is a there is a deep sickness and an illness for anyone to actually believe this and mechanize it, right? To to produce the uh, the structure that uh, is needed to carry out. I mean, it, it almost feels like in mo- in the modern world in twenty twenty three, with all of the gains that we have made. The in in the egalitarian right philosophical democratic uh, theological I mean, thousands of years of human consciousness evolution, really, I mean this could happen again and again and again. The answer is yes, which is what you're getting at, which is because there is a sickness in the hearts or potential sickness in the hearts of people. You know what's fascinating is uh, Frank Herbert wrote about this in Dune, and in Dune, Paul Atreides achieves the high power of be, be becoming the messiah and so you know a lot of people are disappointed by the sequel book which is called dune messiah 
Because in that book, essentially, Paul Atreides launches a kind of a, a warfare to unify everybody on every planet, killing billions of people. Wow. So his campaign kills billions. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Read the, the books are fantastic. Yeah. The concepts there are very interesting because, again, it's Frank Herbert who had an opportunity in the second book to maybe make it interesting and fantastical and adventurous. And instead, he takes us deep into the soul of, of what it would be like to have all the power in the universe and be able to, right, right. And, and to, in order to get everybody in line, what would you do? He goes and exterminates planets. I mean, he goes and takes out but entire civilizations. Because, in the book. He, of course, he justifies it in his own way. Of course. Yeah. Of course, there's a justification. But, I mean, you, you look back and there, there's not so much a condemnation of, a, of Atreides doing this as there is kind of a reckoning that it must be done. It's, it, it, it's a warning, I think. I definitely think he intended it as a warning, but I think it's also just saying that, it, look, even the most highly evolved Messiah comes, and when he comes, in order to enact his vision, he must commit these atrocities, essentially atrocities. But yet, he won't be, they won't come back being remembered. Like, when we talk about Alexander the Great, we think of him as, oh, the military conqueror, oh, somebody who, you know, um, brought Greek culture into the Middle East and made these roads, and look at all this technology and civilization that had flourished after that, all the arts and the culture that was passed and the, the commerce that would, had developed across the entire continent because of his conquest, right? Yeah. Look at all those good things he did by killing all those people. <laughs> Ian, Ian Morris wrote a book. I think he's a... You look him up right now if you could. He's a, he's a Stanford professor. He wrote a book on the benefits of war. Now, you know, Stalin said the death of a, a person... Is a tr is a tragedy, they, or the death of one person is a, is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic, statistic. or something like that, which which kind of reminds me of this injunction in the Quran, right? Which says, "The death of a single human being is akin to the death of all mankind, and the saving of a single human being is akin to the saving of all of mankind." Which you were saying earlier before the podcast that to some people, the loss of a child is the loss of their entire universe, and they'll never recover from that, you know, because that one child is so precious, is so unique, it will never, ever be... We know from biology, will never, ever come into existence again. End of story. Right? Just like every human fingerprint is so utterly unique. So, it's... It's very disturbing. Yeah, very this, is, disturbing. this is one, of, I think, one of those um, episodes where we're not going to come to a really great, nice, you know, point with this. It's, 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 it's alarming, and it should be. Yeah. We, there shouldn't be any comfort in this episode. Be you shouldn't disturbed. Be, you shouldn't be, yeah, you shouldn't yeah. walk away from this thinking, oh, yeah, that was, you know, I'm glad we were able to come to some... Po no, there's nothing positive about it, okay? You have to... The only positive thing is in from now on, you're going to recognize it if it comes out. And, and you're speak, speak out against it. Yes, when you see it. And that doesn't mean you. we wait to the point of genocide. You can't wait to the point of genocide. You should be thinking about this in its pretext. In its, you should be self-referential. You should be self-aware. You should be, really, is this? Maybe your silence is contributing to it. Yes, and silence is a problem. The people that are silent are the problem. Remember right? this, this quote? Yeah, what's please his say name? It. What's his name said? Uh, Victor Frankl was it, or maybe it wasn't Victor Frankl. I it was somebody. Einstein. What? Maybe it was Einstein. It was, is you know, they came for my friends, oh, and no, I no. stayed silent. They came for so and so. And then in the end, they came for me, and there was no one else to speak out. No one left to speak out for me. I thought you were going to say that, uh, you know, the, the quote about 
bad things happen because good people. Oh yeah, yeah. it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Remain quiet, right? Exactly. Remain silent. Exactly. When good people remain silent, that is what allows. That right. and I think that is what I want this episode, you know, to be about. It, Don't be silent. Speak out. Speak out when something deserves to be outraged. When something is outrageous. That's right. I mean, right. obviously, you can't be outraged by everything, but like when people are laying down the a, a pretext for killing people, you know, whether whatever it's irrespective of the intent, the, you, you we have to diagnose be able, the problem. We, you, we should early not enough. be uh, we yes diagnose the problem early enough. And we should not remain silent. We should not be allowed to be silent at that point. Although you can't force anybody. I mean, but all I can yeah. say is that you know, if you've been listening, if you've been thinking about this, if if any of this meant anything to you, then definitely encourage this idea that we do need to speak about this, well, and we need to be able to speak about it in yeah. thoughtful, considerate ways, and and not in argumentative, uh, rapacious sort of I would add violent dialogue. You're right, but I would add to it the following. What are you doing to contribute to either the good or the bad in that in that uh, discourse? For example, not just your silence, but maybe you're doing things that are promoting you know, genocidal pretext, right? Maybe. So people, the point is, look in the mirror, really reflect on like what you are, both the active and the passive aspects of your operation. All right. And on that note, allow us to close the circle. Thank you guys for listening. I know it was deep. It was difficult. We are feeling something here, and that's important. Reflect. The QR Lab. Until next time, thanks for listening. Tell a friend, like, subscribe, comment, be a part of the community. The QR Laboratory. We want to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they do not reflect the official policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Mm -hmm. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.